I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Um, I got a very interesting psychology study from SciPost. That, is this the one that you didn't think we should do on the show? Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> yes and no. Okay. There was another one that, I, that we definitely won't do on the show. But this one, this one I was like, this is for Turn Me On. But it also kind of uh, fits for Sick Boy. And, um, is it health related? I mean, it's a psychological to, study, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, sounds... to, to a degree, it's just it's just here. I'll read I'll read you the title. Psychology researchers are taking a serious look at cum shots. <laughs> See, I'm very interested in. OK, well, all right. Good game here. Why do you think psychologists are interested in? And uh, for people who don't know, a cum shot is the act in pornography where uh, typically a male is ejaculating with somewhere, velocity somewhere. In Somewhere. space, um, in a porn- pornography video. I know. I, I have a, a good guess. Yeah. Okay. Why do, you, why do you think psychologists are looking into the cum shot? I immediately think of the James Webb Space Tel- Telescope. That's um, immediately where my head went to. Wow. Because. Yeah, that, uh, wow. And the reason why is because I recently you. saw a post of a, I, actually, I don't think this came from James Webb, but it was a NASA Instagram post. Uh, that was a photo of Saturn backlit by the sun. Oh, I saw this. And you could that see cool. the, the rings. Um, the rings. So cool. And they were like was sort just of glowing. Sh- it was all shadow. And yeah, so the planet was all shadow, but the rings were sort of like glowing. Oh, I want and to see this. They That's cool. used these um, different filters on the image to bring out different colors in the rings. And they were doing it to assess the composition of the rings. And so, like, they could look at it and say, like, oh, this is like 20%. Whoa, is this um, it? This here? Uh, yes. Wow. Yep. What yeah, a really and cool like, as you, image. And as you keep talking, the association with cum shots is getting clearer and clearer. Yeah. So, um, are you I'm serious? Cause I, I'm not here yet. You don't hear it. You no. don't, you don't see the, oh, wow. No. So, I mean, Taylor, you're picking up what I'm putting down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, you're not. <laughs> but, oh, I am. But to elaborate, <laughs> to elaborate for the listeners or viewers mm. over on YouTube, I'm guessing that they are trying to understand, um, the composition of the cum, the seminal <laughs> fluids um, Wait, to determine Brian, this is what, psychology. This is psychology. So, this but, is, but continue. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm wondering if they think that our mental health could influence the uh, velocity in which our seminal fluids shoot from the tips of our penis and right. um, if that's affected by our mental health. So like, huh. like put it this way, you know, like you eat asparagus. And I don't it makes think, I your, mean, it's not that, it is dumb, but it's not that crazy. <laughs> so like, so like, I could see it from side posts. So like say, say that you, you know, you, you like eat asparagus yes, and, yeah. and your, your pee, pee smells, smells a certain yeah. way. Right, right. Right. So like, I'm wondering if they're like, Hey, I wonder because they're like, they want to research cool shit that comes out of your dick. And they're thinking like, well, we're psychologists, so we have to find a different angle. What if our angle was like, I wonder if your mental health changes the composition of your cum, in mm. particular affecting the velocity in which it leaves your dick and the cum shoddiness of it. I mm. would guess that it has something to do well, with... Well, hold on. No. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Taylor. I would say in a, on a more serious... On a more serious note, that as what? serious as I could possibly be, <laughs> in, given the context of what we are talk, currently yeah. discussing, I would say that it, it might have something to do um, with like um, uh, uh, like the psychology of uh, the psychology of like of like uh, pleasure as it relates to like different sexual um, different sexual like acts. 
Mm, not not quite. Um, but you're you're definitely a little bit closer than the Jim James Webb telescope thing. Um, <laughs> that was uh, an analogy, you guys. <laughs> most modern pornography depicts scenes of external ejaculation onto another person's uh, face or body, commonly known as the cum shot or the money shot, uh, which has raised questions about why this particular act is appealing to viewers. Now, some have proposed that external ejaculation is rooted in men's desire to dominate or demean women. Uh, But new research published in the Archives of Sexual Behavior, so a very legitimate study, um, provides evidence against this theory. So a lot of people are like, you know, the reason you're doing it is to demean the, the, the subject that you're blowing your load on. Yeah, I would, dis- I would vehemently disagree with that. Me so the, the study found that both men and women viewed images of external ejaculation more positively when they were accompanied by facial expressions indicating pleasure. Uh, additionally, men's judgments of such images were unrelated to their levels of psychopathy personality traits. So, uh, but how, so, so how did we get here? How did, it, how did researchers like decide we want to dive into this? This is really interesting. So, Uh, Quote, I have been interested in the perception of external ejaculations in pornography since the late to mid 1990s. When I worked on the book, same warrior. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> when I worked on the book, warrior lovers with Don uh, Simons, um, where we discussed sex differences in erotica and sexual fantasy, explained the study's author, uh, Catherine Salmon a professor of psychology at the University of Redlands. Salmon. Salmon? Salmon? <laughs> Probably salmon. I mean... <laughs> I'm just fucking with it, you. It doesn't... <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's spelt salmon. Uh, you know, uh, it could it's be, a light pink. <laughs> <laughs> Salmon. Um, she said, quote, some academics and lay people have suggested that the goal of pornography is to degrade women and have used the external ejaculation as an example of such. However, I didn't find this convincing as there are, there are a lot of external ejaculations in gay porn without any women around. In addition, I had read an article in Playboy by James Peterson, and he made an interesting point. Quote, what makes ejaculating on the outside degrading while ejaculating inside sacred? Masturbating guys ejaculate on their own bodies all the time, and no one says, oh God, I just degraded myself. Which I think is a really interesting point. It's like, you know, if you're not, if you're not trying to make a baby, um, yet you ejaculate inside of someone, that seems to be kind of fun. Like that seems to be kind of the, the, the norm, you know, like that, like that's like, that's okay. No one really looks at that and goes, Oh, you motherfucker. How and, dare you? And the argument for be, for it being <laughs> degrading would also have to be, it, there would also have to be a, a, quite a through line of, uh, of females that, that, <laughs> don't like it that it's like i don't i feel degraded like there has to be a which i'm sure feeling of degra- i'm, I'm sure, sure, sure there there's lots been. of people sure that of don't course. like it and, sure. and probably be- right. because yeah. the thought is well this i you know i've been told or taught that this is degrading so like i you know i don't like to feel that way so don't like don't don't come on my belly or like right. whatever right but if I mean, a guy the- wants to and a girl wants to then then that that relationship can't exist in that scenario. Well, really. I think mm. that's the key point here is like if you're communicating about it and the person desires you to do that thing, then how could it possibly be degrading? Because right. like mm. you shouldn't be doing anything to anybody without consent to do that anyway in yeah. the first place. So regardless of uh, so, whether it's mm-hmm. coming right, on like, you or uh, uh, you know uh, going in for a kiss, right? Yeah. Like, so, isn't it? But it, I mean, shouldn't you be having that conversation before you come on anybody? Like like hey. I want to come on your tits. Like, is that, oh, is that Jesus Christ, Brian? This is a CBC podcast. Are you, dude, chill. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah, I forgot. Um, <laughs> oh, but like, damn. is that, is that cool? Right? Like you ask that question before yeah. you do it. So yeah. if the person, if you get a no, right. Then don't, you don't have permission. Right. Yeah. I usually try to have that conversation in a little bit more of like a sexy tone that rather than like, is that cool? Kind of tone. <laughs> it's more of like a, it's kind of wrapped in like a, in like a little bit more. Like, no, 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 say no, how no, you no. I, guys, say uh, this is making me feel, say how you would say this, it. No, no, no. This, this is, is an me, important conversation. No, you, can, no, you can hear it. This anyway. is making me feel weird. Um, <laughs> she said, so Jessica uh, Heyman and I decided to conduct a study assessing what factors influence people's perceptions of images containing external ejaculations to either a male or a female face. Uh, one of our predictions being that the signs of the recipient of the facial of the facial enjoying the sexual activities 
would predict participants having a more positive or less negative, depending on your perspective, view of the images. Um, dude, the th- man, I, whenever I read these things, I just all I think about is like, what a what a fucking hilarious job. You know, it's like when we spoke to the woman who's like, yeah, um, I, I forget her name, but she's from Montreal. And she's she her like her whole line of study right now is like focusing on sex oh, in space. Yes, right. It's yeah. like what a cool thing to do. Like th- these these two, they're just like, all right, let's compile a bunch of videos of cum shots and just show it to people and watch the reactions. Like that's hilarious. <laughs> that's is, so yeah. fun. I'm curious. This is a <laughs> out of my own curiosity, um, because I'm not like super familiar with the dom sub uh, sort of uh, dynamic and relationships. But if I ask my partner to come on my face and I'm asking them to do that, are they dominating me or am I asking for that? Therefore that is more of a dominant trait in that situation. No, 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 not necessarily. Or is that neither? Is it just that like a neutral? I think it's kind of neutral. I I mean, I I suppose it depends on, you know, are you asking them to do that? Because I feel degraded. And and then, then, yeah, sure. Like, like, because you like it. Like, is is that is that an act that makes you feel dominated? Then, if it is, then sure. Right. It's a a context, right? Because, but like, you could feel dominant in that situation just by asking for that and then receiving that too, right? Yeah. Well, that I mean that that that's what plays into like dom sub play. You know, it's like the the act of asking for things to get a certain feeling. Now, if you said, you know, you wanted her to have a cum shot on your face or like, I guess a squirt shot on your face and then like call you a little ninny (laughs) and spit in your eye and slap you. Right. That That might be be a little bit more dominant. Clear cut. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that personally isn't what I would want, but I could see how it would never say never. It it would be great for some people. You never know. Yeah. What what path you'll end up taking. I'm very interested in this stuff. She said, I like talking about it. She said, uh, we also were interested in seeing whether scoring high on dark triad traits would predict more positive views on the images. What's a dark triad? So the dark triad is the, we did the dark triad test once the Machiavellianism, psychopathy and, um, um, uh, uh, narcissism. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so, uh, regardless of the recipient's effect, um, so, uh, or maybe even more positive when the recipient effect was negative. So the researchers used Amazon Mechanical Turk crowdsourcing platform to recruit a sample of 201 women and 196 men who lived in the U.S. The participants ranged in age from 19 to 77 years, a very broad, broad age range. Uh, approximately 44% identified as heterosexual, 36 identified as bisexual, and 20% identified as homosexual. In the study, the participants viewed and rated a series of 18 explicit images on a seven-point scale, which ranged from very negative to very positive. The images depicted either a man or a woman receiving a cum shot and displaying either a positive, negative, or neutral expression. The participants also completed assessments of religiosity, dark triad personality traits, disgust sensitivity, self-perceived mate value, and sociosexuality, uh, which means openness to casual sex. Women, on average, reported fairly negative pers- uh, uh, perceptions of the images, while men, on the average, reported having some neutral perceptions. Both male and female participants viewed the images less negatively when a woman displayed a positive expression compared to when the woman displayed a negative expression, mm-hmm. which kind of makes sense, mm-hmm. uh, which indicates that the enjoyment of viewing external ejaculation is not about men enjoying degrading women, the researchers said. Quote, for males, the strongest predictor of more positive slash less negative reactions to the images was that the recipient on, uh, was of, of their preferred sex, females or heterosexual males and males for homosexual males, and was displaying positive effect in response to the cum shot. Uh, Salmon told Cypos. <laughs> See, this is like, like what, it's interesting because when we started this conversation, it's like, I go, oh, I don't think that it could be this dominant degrading thing. But then the, 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 you know, the world is a big, wide open ocean with a lot of different fish in it. And when I'm saying that, I'm saying that from the perspective of like, well, that's because I, that's because I'm not doing that for that reason, mm-hmm. you know, and I know, and I know that in my heart of hearts and mm. like, that doesn't, and like we talked about, it's like, well, like that doesn't happen unless it's like a mutually agreed mm. upon 
conclusion. Mm. So, but it's interesting that when they run the research, it seems like that is on average negative yeah. to females and neutral to males. Yeah. But I guess it, I guess it, it all comes out in yeah. what the reaction is to the person that's receiving. Yeah. I, I thought this was interesting because I've never been a fan of the cum shot. My, the thing I've always been a fan of is coming into my hand and then flinging it at the wall and pretending I'm a Spider-Man. Females overall views of the images were more negatively, uh, were, females overall viewed the images more negatively, but the responses were predicted by a wider range of variables, including short-term mating orientation than the males. Uh, they said, quote, there is no evidence that males or females scoring higher in psych, uh, psych, psycho, psychopathy uh, had more positive perceptions of the images, regardless of effect, again, suggesting that degrading women is not the main focus for consumers. Uh, interestingly, but perhaps not surprisingly, narcissistic males had more positive views, while narcissistic females had more negative views. As expected, those who reported being more sensitive to disgust were also less likely to have positive perceptions of the image mm -hmm. images. But surprisingly, however, the researchers found that more religious women tended to have more positive perceptions of the images. Huh. That's um, interesting. Quote, however, this was quite a small effect and might be... I don't know this word spurious spur spurious with this with a, P U R I O U S spurious, not being uh -huh. what it purports to be false or fake spurious. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, thought that was really interesting. It is really, <laughs> kind of it is really interesting. Yeah, it is. Do you yeah. think that, um, uh, for the religious, like if, if that is, if the data is true behind that, do you think that that is because like the sort of like for forbidden, fruit um idea that like you know sex before marriage premarital sex is frowned upon and therefore sex in general is sort of mm. is seen with this like negative from this negative naughty. viewpoint or or lens yeah. and then so like you know then that in the person's mind leads them to be more sort of curious and sure in what they would explore like in terms of their fantasies and could be like that. Yeah, it's a bit be. of a stretch to guess that maybe but be. What I think is really interesting about this is that it's a is that it these are like these are the things that people fucking are curious about and and like talk about at least in jet not in a, maybe not in a scientific way but like you think about your your life and all the sexual experiences that you've had and you've probably had a myriad of different experiences in terms of like what people are into mm. and but because you are into something and they might not be then that then that doesn't then that ends up not occurring and you could walk away from a sexual experience kind of scratching your head going wow how could i be so into that and that person not be into that at all how could mm. they have that view on that when a mind is so positive on this on whatever it is mm. and and how that varies so much from person to person and this is basically taking that in one aspect of that or one experience that that could occur in a, in a sexual encounter and going Let's fucking figure it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that, I mean, to to your point, like that's why it's so important to talk about these things, even though it sounds funny. Because, like, what I mean, the conversation that we're really having here is about consent and whether or not, like, finding out, talking about what you're interested in with your partner first. Otherwise, how are you ever supposed to know? Like, if you don't talk about these things with your partner, how do you have a fulfilling sexual encounter with that person if you don't know? one, what they're into, what they would like, and two, you know, where the boundaries are in terms of what you mm -hmm. can and can't do. It's crazy that, I mean, like, I think of like 19, 20 year old me trying to um, navigate these experiences and not knowing how to have these types of conversations. Like there are so many unfulfilling sexual experiences mm -hmm. that I had because and you don't know, yeah. Like you, you err on the side of caution yeah. and don't although, go in. Although and then you're trying to figure it out yeah. in like in like yeah. the last fifteen seconds, <laughs> yeah. and you're like, where uh, should it happen? And you're even afraid to ask, like, <laughs> yeah. what would you like? Yeah. You know? yeah. Although I will say, like, on a positive note to that, uh, Bridie and I just had a conversation yesterday with a woman who teaches uh, gender and sexuality at a at a university in Alabama. Uh, gender and sexuality studies. Uh, from a perspective of of like gender and sexuality it, within pop culture, and um, and one of the things we were talking about was how, especially after the Me Too movement, like since twenty seventeen, 
um, there's been a massive shift in the way that consent culture is being like hammered home heavily through like in universities. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like, I feel like, you know, you know, we have our buddy Nathan, you know, 19 years old. He's coming up in a time where the conversation surrounding consent is happening way more often all around him compared to what the conversations were like when we were 18 and 19, Mm -hmm. which I don't uh, even think there, I I don't like, I don't think there really was a conversation. No, no, no. there wasn't a conversation with, with us, like an educational conversation about why that was. Yeah. Like literally the universities are like holding seminar. I mean, Brady and I, we spoke, we spoke at a college at Conestoga a couple of weeks ago about that exact thing. It was like, we just, we talked about consent for like an hour for two, you know, to a whole auditorium full of students. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's nice. It's nice to hear that. Like it, it, Gen Z, there's like the sexual revolution happening with Gen Z surrounding, mm-hmm. you know, gender, you know, the new gender, sexuality, all that stuff. So, cause I feel like before and when we were growing up, it was more of like, it was more of like, you should just know, mm, mm-hmm. like you should just be able to figure out what's cool and what's not. Mm-hmm. And for some people you do just know mm. because you just have that, you have that compass that's built in and but that is not the case for everybody no and you need to have something that yeah. is educational so that I everybody would, can be on the same yeah, page yeah i would i would push back on like the compass thing because i i i think and maybe this is what you mean but like you you sort of like err on the side of caution and play in a space that's safe with that sure. person but like you don't actually know, like it's not a fulfilling Right, you're right. It has right. It has drawbacks on both. It has drawbacks Mm. on both sides. Mm. Which, like, the funny thing that I, the interesting thing that I think about consent is that it's been sort of labeled as this like unsexy thing. To and I mean, not now so much, but when we were first starting to have these conversations, it was like, oh, it's so hard to have that conversation because like it can ruin the mood or things like that. But I think that that's entirely untrue because it actually helps you get to a better place during your mm. you know sexual experience yeah then then takes away yeah, from like it lays because the you find gra- out what, lays the groundwork for like a more fulfilling yeah. experience think of your favorite one hit wonder or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have or that tv show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon now what if we could fix it I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Delon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Uh, here's a fun story. I, I, you know, I don't know how much this kind of uh, relates to the podcast, but uh, it's I, I, yeah, I loved it too much not to put it in. This is coming from uh, Hannah Banana over on Discord. Thank you, Hannah. If you want to join the Discord, you can click the link in the bio, and uh, you can help us produce the podcast by giving us content like this. Uh, Florida woman. I always love a good Florida yeah. man, Florida woman story. I follow an account called Florida Man. It's the guy great. who does white people humor does an account called Florida Man, and he just does Florida Man stuff. Uh, Florida woman sues Kraft for $5 million over Velveeta pasta prep time. So the appeal of microwave meals is their efficiency, but they are really made as quickly as company. Are, but are they really made as quickly as the company's claim? <laughs> and according to one Florida woman, the answer is nope. Uh, the signature yellow packaging for the Velveeta shells and cheese microwavable shell pasta claims the dish is ready in three and a half minutes. On November 18th, Florida resident Amanda Ramirez filed a $5 million class action lawsuit against Kraft Heinz, which owns Velveeta, alleging it takes much longer to fully prepare the microwavable pasta. (laughs) Ramirez says her lawyers claim the advertising pointed on the single serve meal is false and misleading. They contended, uh, even though it takes three and a half minutes to microwave the pasta, 
This time does not account for the other steps listed in the preparation this instructions. This is the dumbest thing like I've ever heard. opening the package, <laughs> pouring the water in. No, uh, yeah, no, seriously. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the protected pasta eater must also add, add water before microwaving, then the cheese sauce and stir it to combine. Dude, how does this... I mean, this will, not that this will get to court. Like, you know, this I don't know. This could tough. sink craft. No, this... <laughs> this will just get tossed out so fast. But like, this is so funny. It's so funny that, that a lot firm is like yeah fuck off, whatever okay sure maybe it, it's like <laughs> I, I i could understand if like you know if you put the hot water in the thing and then and then like you know velveta's like you put the hot water in and then you have this lid that you put on it you put that in the microwave then you pull it you pull the lid off and then you stir and then you know she pulls the lid off and as she does there's like a, there was air trapped in and she pulled off and it exploded hot velveta all over her <laughs> eyes then i'm like okay I'm I'm sold. You know, you just burnt your face. I mean, I could I could I could solve this case for I, I'm gonna solve this case for Kraft Times right now. They're gonna go. We said cook time. Yeah, and that's it. And so then, that's prep, all they're gonna my, say. And then that and then they're and then well, they're no, bro, off. no, Taylor. They they didn't. <laughs> they said preparation time. But but oh, my, oh, oh but never mind. But what is so like fucked. when you when you file a lawsuit doesn't there have to be like some sort of harm that's being done to you? Yeah, dude, the harm is is time is money. And and so <laughs> and, and, and truly. So so there's a premium that they're charging for these quick meals. And and really, you know, they're she's paying 5 bucks for this Velveeta. So the collection She should time. be paying 3. Because there's an extra, it's, it, it should be exact. She should be paying $3.50. She's being charged $5. And, and really, it says, it, so it should say ready in five minutes because it's $5. It should be five minutes. It's saying ready in three, three and a half minutes. It takes her five minutes. Okay. She's spending $2 and her time. So, what so I'm collective she, minute and a half yeah, from all the purchasers, that's right. so, so, which adds up to $5 million over the span of a year. But so it's a class action. So she's not entitled to $5 million in compensation. Well, I mean, whatever. She, it's like it's, it's $5 million split between 20 people. So, like, it really, this is. Guys, I got a I got a check from Microsoft for $120 a few weeks ago. Why? Um, because I joined a class action lawsuit about uh, overpriced software from the <laughs> mid nineties. <laughs> no, I, I legitimately <laughs> filled out my name uh, and email on a uh, website, and I got a hundred and twenty dollar check like like a year later. I feel like I awesome. feel like there's a racket Sweet. here where like it's kind of like the the people that just like. Sign up for like medical testing. Do you have testing. mesothelioma? <laughs> People that sign up for like medical testing where they're like, yeah, sure. I'll like, I'll test for this new chemo drug. I don't have cancer, but I'll test for it. Uh, I'll get like, you know, 120 bucks. I'll test for like, you know, the new, like a new vaccine. I'll test for that. I'll make like 150 bucks. Yeah. Like that's just my job. Like if your job was just like, I'm going to class action lawsuit to make, to make bank. I feel like there's something. You won't there. make bank though, no. because like, it's, but you could make like a thousand I mean, bucks a year. You could yeah, if you had if you hired some sort of AI assistant to like just now fill out every class action yes. lawsuit form. Now we're talking. hundred yeah. percent. Um, the lawsuit takes a particular offense to the fifth step listed in the Velveeta package, which claims the cheese sauce will thicken upon standing. Now, this time to oh. thicken is apparently also not included in the three and a half minutes. I'm telling you guys, this is fucking crazy. The <laughs> label does not state the product takes three and a half minutes to cook in the microwave, which which would be true. Uh, the court's document documents alleged. Kraft Heinz responded publicly to the lawsuit in a brief statement, and they said, "You're right. We're sorry, and we are we are shutting down. We are firing everyone that works at the company." <laughs> and they said, "We're aware of this frivolous lawsuit, and will strongly defend against the allegations in the complaint." That's crazy, though, because it's not. I mean, it is frivolous. I would wouldn't say is a bad word word to describe it's it. Certainly frivolous. However, it might be I mean, the definition not, of frivolous. It's not. The lawsuit isn't wrong in the sense that it does take much longer to prepare the meal than what they're advertising. <laughs> the lawsuit seeks to represent more than 100 individuals. So, like, they could be they sitting could on be, 50 grand. They could be sitting on some good money. Uh, we could join it. In, on the, I already on the, did. On the topic of, uh, of like, the people versus big, big corporations, um, you guys got to watch the uh, Pepsi doc. Yes. The Where's yeah, My right. Jet doc. Yeah. Uh, right. Fun. Very fun. It seems like a bit of like a Tiger King style. Uh, I didn't watch Tiger King. It's not yeah. stupid. I didn't either, dude. I feel like we're a rare breed. I mean, I, I was away. I was in, uh, I was fucking stuck in uh, Galapagos when the pandemic hit, when everyone was watching it. And then by the time I got home, I was like, 
everybody had watched it, and I felt like I knew what happened because it was every yeah. meme on every page. And I, I just, like, I, I just know. didn't want to watch fucking a bunch of ding dongs, yeah, and like and, and and animal abuse. Like I was just like, what? Who? Why are we glorifying the Pepsi? This? The Pepsi, do, the Pepsi docs docu series is not that. It's much cooler. It's much cooler, and it's 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 much more like. Yo, you legitimately it's like real life video big it's, corporate mistake. It's like real life video game. Like they just didn't put a disclaimer yeah. Yeah. on the ad for the jet. Yeah. And 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 it was and they they sort of proved that that was more or less intentional. Basically the whole thing was like you buy Pepsi, you get points or something and you yeah. get enough points you can buy a a fucking like Harrier, Harrier jet. jump yeah. jet. Yeah. <laughs> and and then one kid was like, "I got uh, it. I figured out that a jet is worth 32 million dollars." And I can purchase that jet for $700,000 through buying Pepsi points. Yeah. <laughs> and a total loophole in Pepsi's ad, which they didn't put any disclaimers around and said this. Anyway, so then the whole, the whole, the, the four part series is about the, basically like the lawsuit that ensues. Yeah. Um, and there's like, did he make, did the, did the kid man. make bank? Uh, I don't want to tell you. Don't ruin it. Uh, yeah. Scientists finally know why people get more colds and flu in the winter. This is kind of interesting. You know the whole thing, like I mean, it's a it's a it's an old wives' tale, but like don't go outside, you know, don't go outside without a scarf, or else you get a cold. Um, yeah, and, like, and is that a wives' tale? Don't go outside with your hair. Oh, hundred percent, it's a wives' tale. It, and also, so many people still believe that. Like it, it 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 the amount of times I've heard people say like, oh, if your hair is wet and you go out yeah. in the cold, you're gonna get, you're gonna. Dude, I'm Google no, like, Yeah, you don't get like, you don't get a virus no, from being cold. No, 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 no. But uh, there is something to the cold weather and getting viruses. It might say, make you it, more susceptible to it. Well, it gonna, nope, it doesn't. It, it has, doesn't? Nope. So, it, no, no, no. The temp, you, the wetness of your hair? No, not the wetness. I mean, being cold. Like, do, like That's what it is. Well, yes. That's yeah. what I was going to yeah. say. But but if you go outside without a jacket on, you get cold. Then your body is trying to regulate No, but it has nothing to do with that. It has nothing then, to do with the, 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 the temperature of your, of your... I assumed that it was... I assumed that it was legitimately because you were spending energy to regulate your body temperature, which therefore wore down your immune system, which then made you susceptible to getting sick. I mean, it, it isn't that. It... But it, I mean, it's kind of close. That's my bro science. So, so here it is. A chill in the air. There's a chill in the air, and you know what that means. It's time for cold and flu season. Um, when it seems everyone you know is suddenly sneezing, sniffing, or worse, it's almost as if those pesky cold and flu germs whirl in the uh, in with the first blast of winter weather. Can I guess? Yeah. Because we all huddle inside in the winter. Nope. Damn it. Um, yet germs are present year round. Uh, just think back to your last summer cold. Why do people get more colds and flus now? COVID. Night, and now COVID-19 when it's chilly outside. Uh, in what researchers are calling a scientific breakthrough, scientific, science, scientists behind a new study may have found the biological reason why we get more respiratory illnesses in the winter. And it turns out the cold air itself damages the immune response occurring in the nose. So it's the cilia in your nose that, that responds to the coldness. And essentially, the cilia can't work properly and so that's the thing that's making you more susceptible to cold. Oh, so it's like not filtering the germs yeah. in the same way that you. Yeah. So like when I have those snotty sneezes, yes, I don't have as many of those in the winter when my cilias aren't doing their job that's to right. like blast that shit out. Yeah. So uh, quote: This is the first time that we have bio Your summer snot is like it's, everyone's oh, winter. Jesus, snot, dude, it's crazy. It's, it's snotty all year round. This is the first time that we have a biologic molecular explanation regarding one factor of our innate immune response that appears to be limited by colder temperatures, said rhinologist Dr. Zara Patel, a professor of otolaryngology. Otolaryngology? I'm not sure. I don't know. Larynx. Laryngology. Laryngology. Auto laryngology. Yeah, yeah. There's no, you don't, you don't hit the G. It's a silent, the G is silent. <laughs> <laughs> and she's also a head and neck surgeon. Um, uh, in fact, reducing the temperature inside the nose by as little as nine degrees Fahrenheit and five degrees Celsius kills ne nearly 50% of the billions of viruses and bacteria fighting cells in the nostrils, according to the study. Cold air is, astonishing. is associated with increased viral infection because you've essentially lost half of your immunity just by that small drop in temperature, uh, said the rhinologist, Dr. Benjamin Bre uh, Blear, uh, director of 
mm-hmm. laryngology, mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> transitional research of the Massachusetts Eye and Ear and associate professor at Harvard Medical School in Boston. Guys, I felt this happening. Uh, this would have been in the summer-ish time. I trimmed my nose hair. Mm. Me too, yeah. And I was like, and for the first time in a while. It's important. And, and my nose was getting so dry and the air felt so cold in my nose. I was, it was so uncomfortable. I, I couldn't sleep for like three days. But you got to do oh it though, God. right? Well, no. I mean, no, you like, no, you just you, pull out the ones that are, yeah, that are peeking if, out the, peeking out the end. If you get these ones right at yeah, the tip, yeah. I think you're okay. And it's like, I could be wrong because they're there for a reason. But I mean, it says here, a respiratory virus or bacteria invades the nose, the main point of entry into the body. Immediately, the front of the nose detects the germ well before the back of the nose is aware of the intruder. At that point, Cells lining the nose immediately begin creating billions of simple copies of themselves called extracellular uh, vesicles or EVs. EVs can't divide like cells can, but they are like little mini versions of cells specifically designed to go and kill these viruses. EVs act as decoys. So now when you inhale a virus, the virus sticks to these decoys instead of sticking to the cells. And then you blast them out. Those mini-me's are then expelled by the cells into nasal mucus, snot, uh, where they stop invading germs before they can get to their destinations and multiply. This is, uh, w- this is one of, if not the only part of the immune system that leaves your body to go fight the bacteria and viruses before they actually go into your body. So Once- this is why you should blow your nose a lot when you're yeah, yeah totally. you're blowing yep. those germs right out. Blowing them out. Uh, once created and, and dispersed well, out into the nasal secretions, the billions of EVs then start to swarm the uh, marauding germs. It's like if you kicked a hornet's, hornet's nest, what happens? You might see a few hornets flying around, but when you kick it, all of a sudden, they all fly out of the nest and attack before an animal can get into the nest itself, he says. That's the way the body mops up these inhaled viruses so they can never get into the cell in the first place. That yeah. is crazy. Yeah. Don't, um, don't kick hornet's nest. Oh, dude, don't, don't do that. Don't. No. That's no, how that no. kid died in that movie. Uh, my girl. Yeah. yeah. When yeah. under attack, the nose increases production of uh, EVs by 160%. They found out in this study, which is fucking crazy. I can't hear EV without thinking about electric vehicles. But of course not, man. Uh, there were additional differences. EVs had many more receptors on their surface than original cells, thus boosting the virus stopping ability of the billions of uh, EVs in the nose. Quote, supercharged. Quote, just imagine receptors as little arms that are sticking out, trying to grab onto the viral particles as you breathe them in. And we found each vesicle has up to 20 times more receptors on the surface, making them super sticky. Cells in the body also contain a viral killer called mac- uh, microRNA, which, which attack invading germs. Yet EVs in the nose contain 13 times more macro RNA sequences than normal cells. Okay, though, but we're not Which, saying... Again, that they're finding they're, all this out in this study. Like, they're not necessarily... We didn't know this shit a year ago. Right. It's, your nose hair doesn't necessarily matter then because it's these cells, right? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure your hair, play, hair follicles play a role. I think your hair is like, detecting it. That's your hair right. is detecting the temperature. That's right. And, yeah. your hair, and your hair is also detecting the inv- invasion before the shit in the back, the EVs are like... So... In this case, we're so fucking dumb. In this case, yeah, no doubt. does it, you know, like when you go outside and it's really cold and you breathe in through your nose and your nose hairs, yes. you can feel them like frozen. That's what it felt like in the summer when I shaved my fucking nose. So, hair. so that feeling is like, a, like you now know you're fucked, right? Could, because in that case, well, it's not, not working because you have to inhale a virus still. I know, but you know that you're, you know, that the door's open. Yeah. You, well, now you, we do. You got to. You got to be extra. We only know this now. From washing, this. Yeah. You got to wash your hands extra hard, though. So they said that, uh, um, again, what they did to, to conduct this study was they had participants. Um, uh, they studied per- participants that were exposed to 15 minutes of 40 degree Fahrenheit or four degrees Celsius temperatures and then measured the conditions inside the navel cavities. So what they said was what we found is that when you're exposed to cold air, the temperature in your nose can drop by as much as nine degrees Fahrenheit. And that's enough to essentially knock out all of those immune advantages that the nose has. Why are scientists using Fahrenheit? This is a study coming out of the States. Yeah. I know, but they're scientists. They're um, using metrics in Celsius. <laughs> in fact, that little bit of coldness in the tip of the nose was enough to take out nearly 42% of the EVs out of the fight. 
Similarly, if you have uh, you have almost half the amount of those killer microRNAs inside each vesicle, and you can have up to seventy percent drop in the number of receptors on each vesicle, making them uh, much less sticky. Um, they also say you don't have to wear a nose sock. As it turns out, the, the pandemic gave us exactly what we need to fight off chilly air and keep our nose <laughs> immunity high. Uh, not only do masks protect you from the direct inhalation of viruses, but it's also like wearing a sweater on your nose, he said. Um, that was one of like the, 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 th- the, the things that I liked about masks in the, in yeah. the winter when, when, uh, like when, we were, when everyone was wearing them. Exactly. The warmer you can keep the, the, you know, the inside environment of your nose, the better the, the innate immune defense mechanisms will be able to work. I mean, um, they'll probably get a better response if they tell people to like, like wear a balaclava or something. Dude, you know what I'm going to do? Just from like a social I'm gonna, psychology standpoint. I'm going to get a, I'm going to get one of those like, those like glove warming pads and just stitch it onto the inside of my N95. And then my nose will be hot. I feel like that might end up hurting you. Yeah, but my nose would be hot <laughs> and it would be have... and it would boost. You could just <laughs> yeah, buy those right. uh, those new Dyson <laughs> Dyson air purifying headphones. Yeah, yeah, right. I wonder if those come oh, with like a right. warm air filter. Yeah. yeah. You're not um, supposed to put that shit against your skin, right? But like Oh, the, the hot paws. The hot paws things. Those aren't supposed to Touch your skin. I'm pretty sure. I don't care. Have you been? I think they do yeah. in your gloves. Dude, I put them, I fucking put them right on my taint. Wow. Is that why no hair grows around your butthole? No, I can do it because there's so much hair there. Oh. And so the hair just protects the skin. Oh, so it's actually not against your skin. Yeah. Right. Okay. But my, my, but I don't put it on my butthole. If I put it on my, it, my taint's hairier than my butthole. Oh, yep. Same. All right, let's uh, wrap this up with one last story. This is very exciting because I've heard about this long before it made the news. Uh, A good friend of mine is actually working on this project. It's coming out of the IWK. And um, uh, uh, Discord uh, Patreon member Jenna McGee, also past uh, guest on the podcast, they brought this to my attention. It's now in the news. I'm going to try to get my homie on the show to talk about this because it's really fucking cool. A new virtual reality game at the IWK teaches kids to safely drive power wheelchairs. Uh, yeah, oh, that's cool. It, it is so neat. So a team at the IWK's rehabilitation center hopes that it, it has come up with an innovative way to help patients navigate the world in power wheelchairs by having them learn driving skills through virtual reality, reality games. Dr. Jordan Chirico, the project leader, has spent four years working on Halifax-based Mars VR Lab to create the software to train his patients while keeping them entertained. It's been really exciting, he said. I don't think any of us would really would have imagined being where we are now when we started this out. Uh, Shariko first became interested in virtual reality and its applications in rehabilitation therapy during his medical training. A few years ago, he mentioned to his colleagues that he wanted to explore VR as a tool with his patients, seeing it as an emerging area for research. He said that by luck, someone uh, mentioned the Mars VR lab. At the same time, there was a local business that was really keen to use their skills in software development, virtual reality, and project management to look at how we can leverage that to help people. Our developers really put t- together just a fantastic world to be exploring. Uh, the results of the game set in a futuristic robot-filled world. The kids have to navigate through a number of fun challenges that they're uh, actually designed to teach them the skills to use their power chairs. Shariko's patients who were experienced wheelchair users have been testing the game through its development, giving advice along the way. Quote, the feedback was pretty consistent in that they see this as a tool that can really support power wheelchair training, he said. Shariko sees two key advantages with the software. First, it creates a safe space for kids to learn how to use expensive equipment. Uh, he said, quote, when we're doing power wheelchair training in the real world, We've got people around you that are trying to help you and support, he said. We've got a very expensive piece of equipment in the ballpark of about $30,000 plus walls, other infrastructure that get damaged or injured. They're learning early intermediate skills in a virtual environment where it's safe, it's easily accessible, it's fun, and it's engaging. The other benefit is for those who live far from the IWK or other rehabilitation facilities. Shariko said the technology can set up at home for training purposes. Uh, the person can also come back later to for testing to see if they are ready to go out in the community and in a power wheelchair. Um, 
program's still in its research phase, but Chirico says it should be ready to be shared with other rehabilitation centers by February. And when I was talking to my friend who's working on this, um, you know, he was explaining it to me where like they've built out in this, in this VR world, like a whole sort of arena. And, and like the goal is like, you have to take your power wheelchair and you have to get to the top of this sort of like mountain and you're navigating like the, you know, the trails and there's like obstacles and you're trying to get around them and you got to like get to like the goal point, you know, like some ring. I want to play. I know it sounds so fun. Um, but also like what a great, what a great way to, because again, you're, you, you know, IWK, it's a children's hospital here in, in Halifax. So like, this is for young children who are maybe, you know, being put in a power wheelchair for the very first time. Um, you know, maybe a child who has like cerebral palsy and, you know, they've been using canes, walking canes or like aids like that. They haven't, uh, you know, they haven't been to a, a stage in their, the progression of their disease where they need a power wheelchair. All of a sudden things degrade. They can't move the way that they typically would. Now they have to use a power wheelchair, which is basically you're driving a vehicle, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like giving a five-year-old a fucking vehicle to drive around. You know, when I, fuck dude, I was like, that was just hanging out with my nephew the other night and he was all he wants to do. He's f- like three. I walk in as soon as I walk in, he's like, Jamie, you want to play Xbox? And I'm like, fuck, dude. Yes. And we go to play Xbox and his favorite game is, uh, is called, um, uh, it's like wrecked or something like that. And it's like a, it's like a demolition derby game that I bought him for Christmas <laughs> like a year ago. And I sit to play with him and he's dry. He, he has to drive a car. You know, he's, he's like four. I think maybe he's four now. He has to drive a car in this video game to like, and, and, and the, the goal is to smash other cars. So it's like, he doesn't have to be careful. Dude, he sucks. He's so bad at the game. And I'm like, he's so bad. He's so bad that I, what I do is I go, all right, cool, dude. Let's play together. There is no playing together. It's a one player game. So I go, let's play together. I, I turn on the other controller and I let him hold it. And then he uses the controller that's not set up to anything. And then I'm doing the driving and I'm slamming into shit. And I make him look like he's crushing the game. <laughs> now you take little fucking Austin who can't drive for shit in this video game and you put him in a power wheelchair oh, yeah, and just chaos. be like, oh, it would be chaos. It'd be, you know, there's but, no spatial awareness. Dude, t- watching this kid drive a fucking, uh, I also bought him a, um, a like a, a little electric um, uh, car. Remote control remote, car. Yeah, remote control car, which goes very fast. Like if that thing hits you mm-hmm. in your ankles, yeah. you're out for yeah, a year. Yeah. Dude, it's so dangerous. You just can't let him do it. All you need to do is get him a like a need for speed game where there are consequences to fucking up. Because like I would argue that that I when I started driving a car, the like a lot of those skills were already the foundation for them was. Yeah, when you were sixteen. Because I no, 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 I know, but but like Actually, you started driving when you were like twelve. But that's right. But think about (laughs) but think about so the think about the amount of people that are just really nervous drivers and they yeah. just they just never got comfortable with driving which could be a, a bunch of different factors austin but, is not this but i would say <laughs> I, he's overconfident I would, I would argue that i would argue that um that playing video games like 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 racing games things like gran turismo need for speed whatever where like obviously you don't need to be careful because there's no real life consequences but there's game consequences where you lose or whatever or you do shitty and and then and and that 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 allows you, especially I you know I I I had the I had the like the setup, steering wheel, the steering yeah. wheel yeah, setup yeah. when I was like young 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 with a with like Gran Turismo or whatever the game was for Xbox, but um and then and that makes you uh, that like prepares you at least in some way, not in the same level as like a VR would, yeah, because it's yeah. so immersive, it's so but immersive, then, yeah. But the thing that I think is really cool is that I I immediately think of like the recreational use of it, and um, one thing that I've been noticing with VR gaining popularity is that there is now like VR esports leagues where there's competitive VR games, but the thing that's different um, with competitive VR esports versus typical esports is that accessibility is now uh, an an additional issue in a ways that it hasn't been for other esports games and what i mean by that is that you're now your body's the controller and so there's Ooh. no opportunity for people with you know who are wheelchair users to i mean less opportunity for them to play competitive esports yeah. but what if they made 
this simulator a type of competitive game where you know I could use it and you could use it. We could all play in a way where it was fun. Yeah, for I everybody. mean, like like power wheelchair hockey. Yeah, like but like I think of a, a game that was really popular, Rocket League. Yeah, which is driving mm, a car yeah. and you're in an arena chasing a. It's basically like car soccer. Yeah, dude, Austin would suck at that game so bad. <laughs> yeah, I bet <laughs> I bet he would. But if he did VR. And he had yeah. like a joystick yeah. and was steering around like a power chair. Yeah. That would be fucking cool. Be like cool. A, that would be a cool game that I yeah, would yeah. want to play. Yeah. Too, and there's so. lots of VR that doesn't necessarily need like full body movement. No, I mean, but like that's the goal. Games. Like, but I know it is. But the that's goal. like yeah. the goal of VR is like, yeah. how can we make the your entire body yeah. available? Which is fucking hilarious reality. because you and I play VR a lot and we play Demio, which is basically just playing a board game in VR. Yeah, like I'm just really sitting <laughs> like with the worst posture the whole time. Like yeah. my gut, I just get fatter. Just like I'm just got out. Like, ugh, yeah, I've I've sore neck and shoulders <laughs> yeah. after I play. I'm like trying to tilt yeah. the board up. So you know, you know what's really up. interesting about Austin though, even though he sucks balls at this driving game, <laughs> you throw an HL22, dude, he's fucking great. Hey man, can't be good. One timers, everyone's good at something. You know, slap shot from the point. He's like getting goals. He, t- he has offsides turned off. I mean, whatever. But like, <laughs> it's a pretty, well, he's pretty good. It's a pretty crucial rule. <laughs> uh, folks, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, we are coming up to the holidays. Uh, happy holidays to everyone who's, uh, who, uh, who celebrates holidays. Um, <laughs> who likes time off. Of, of I, I believe we're like, we got some, uh, maybe we just hit Hanukkah or Hanukkah's like just around the corner. I think we might be, I think like it might be here. Um, so uh, happy Hanukkah. If, if that's your jam, uh, Christmas coming up soon. Uh, we're probably gonna as we as we get closer to Christmas, we're probably gonna take uh, a, a, just about a week where we're gonna put up some throwback episodes as we as we take a break for the holidays. Um, but uh, we will be back next week with a feel good Friday episode before that happens. So in the meantime, if you enjoyed this episode, if you want to support the podcast, like I said earlier, come join the Discord. It's very fun, lots of engaging conversations, fucking hilarious community over there. Uh, we love each and every one of you who have joined. So thank you. And if you want to support the podcast further, you can leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, or you can rate the podcast on your Spotify mobile app. Yeah, one of the things I love about Discord too is that sometimes when we have uh, guests on the show and they when they join the Discord, oh, it's, it's really cool it's like to a like big party. have them in because everyone's like, like hey! get to like ask some questions yeah. hey, or comment on their episodes. That we heard so. on the episode. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, uh, really and fun. Uh, if you want to let us know anything, uh, what's on your mind, let us know at letters at sickpointpodcast.com. And if you want to be a guest, <clears throat> on our show, go to sickpointpodcast.com slash contact and fill out the guest form. We would like to give a huge thank you and shout out to Jeff Lonis, who is a person that we couldn't live without. We absolutely love him. And Richard Coyne, thanks for the theme music. Um, you're the best as well. That is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.